is the Two Spies Podcast, a part of the Numa Life family. Get ready to dig deeper in the Bible, have your worldviews challenged, and gain some different perspectives. Now, the conversation begins with your two spies, David and Mark. All right, welcome back to, uh, what are we again? Yeah, what is this? <laughs> it's been a while. It's been a month and a half. I think so. Or three. I don't remember. Anyway. So. Anyway, here we are again. We were doing Genesis and we decided to kind of take a break. And because it was, because we just passed Easter. Genesis is boring. Is that what you said, Mark? <laughs> yes. We're, we're, we're bypassing it. <laughs> we're by, we went to the important parts. We're bypassing Joseph, which is the most boring part of Genesis. Well, we still got to rewrite that part. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good point. What we wanted to say. <laughs> That's right. Hey, I like it. Uh, <laughs> so, was that what commentary is all about? We should just write a commentary. This is what it really means. This is what it says. Anyway. <laughs> it doesn't really mean what it says it means. I mean, what it says on the page. In the beginning, it doesn't really mean in the beginning. It means... Like, after the last ending. <laughs> and everything. This is a sequel to the prequel. So, this is the Matrix. Um... So we decided because uh, we just went through Resurrection Sunday, Easter Sunday, whatever. Um, we decided to kind of deal with. <laughs> we had actually decided to do this before that, but you yes. now say since we just went through it. <laughs> <laughs> well, I had to. I had to make that. So we decided to kind of deal with uh, the last moments of of Jesus' life, and then um, next one we'll go into on the resurrection and the beginning of the church. And then we'll kind of go back to finishing off Genesis. So, so if we, mm-hmm. if it sounds a little bit different than Genesis, it is. <laughs> so this is the new Testament part of Genesis. <laughs> so the extended version. That's right. <clears throat> so, uh, in doing this, uh, we've kind of worked a, a little bit of an outline so we can kind of stay on track with subject matters, et cetera. So I was going to do the first little part here of uh, religious systems. In religious systems, there are, and I, we'll talk about different different ones, but uh, we'll kind of hit atheists, the, the people who are just good people, a little bit of Buddhism concepts, Hinduism concepts, Jehovah's Witness, Mormons, Muslims, and I think philanthropists should be the last one. Um, but to start out, Common stances of people on afterlife, people in general, and I know any atheist who hears this is going to buck this for sure, (laughs) but other than that, people in general think they will meet God after death. I got a guy at work. He has no association at all with church. Doesn't The only time he ever says Jesus is when he's using it as an exclamation or a a wow or a, darn, man, I can't believe that, or... So it's inexplicative in a way. Um, I have asked him before when I've been on the phone with him, and I've done this to, to other people when they say, Jesus. I was like, is he there? <laughs> and they're like, what? Say, is he there? I've <laughs> <laughs> done that too, because we have like at work, we have uh, call groups or people we have to call help desk. And I've had some of them do that kind of thing before. And I've asked them <laughs> if he's there. And uh, they get serious. They don't. It, they're either they either kind of swear with Jesus under breath, or they say, "I don't know why, but when you call a help desk, and whoever's helping you hear typing, and you hear out of their own mouth, yeah, all the time." But uh, 
Anyway, all of that stopped when I asked her that that time. It's like, is he there? What? <laughs> you said Jesus. I said, is he there? Well, d- doesn't it seem <laughs> odd? I don't know about, I mean, atheists probably not, but, you know, you respect the form of religious, other religious systems. Um, we're supposed to respect, um, you know, the wearing, what they wear in their head or, um, the way they present themselves, you know, a covering or so forth right. because it's to God. But when it comes to Jesus, that's when it's like, yeah, a little bit. No holds bar. We don't, yeah. we, nobody cares about Christians. Yeah. So there seems to be like a more respectful to a deity. Um, I, to most atheists, there's, I don't find a whole lot of respect towards any of that. But um, I guess like just a general person who isn't really sure, doesn't really care. Um, but there is kind of like, you know, that whole political don't offend, show respect. Yeah, to those are the ones people. I'm referring to here as the mostly good. Okay. They don't hate God. They don't love God. They're not yeah. involved with God and they're not against it or worried about it. They're just mostly good people. They get it by an alarm. They, they get to work on time and they pay their taxes and they cut yeah. their grass and take care of stuff. Yeah, I know. Um, <laughs> a little off, but um, I know. It's not in my notes. Where are you going? Yeah, no, <laughs> sorry, sorry about that. Um, I know we've had this discussion before, but um, you know, I used to study in the sense that I want to prove God exists without beyond a shadow of a doubt. Um, you know, to learn philosophy, to learn logic, reasoning, um, to learn all these religions, to do my best yeah. that I can share God in such a way that people accept Him. There's no, it's concrete evidence. You want to do it so they can't, He can't be denied and they have to accept Him. Yeah. Yeah. But as I've gotten older and um, you're so old now. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm now 36. So. <laughs> Yeah, there it but, is. <laughs> um, You've been missing that, ain't you? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, but since I've gotten older, I, you know, I've learned that you really cannot prove God. Um, yeah. It, what What I've been always what I've been saying the last several years is um, every single person is like a juror member. Um, you have two lawyers in the court system, and the only people that were there at the crime or whatever's going on in the, the court. The event, yeah. Yeah, the event um, are really, I mean, there's only a limited amount of people that were actually at the event. So the lawyers present their case. Here's evidence. Yeah. Here's eyewitnesses. You call witnesses to the stand. They testify. As a juror, you can believe the eyewitness or you cannot believe the eyewitness. Even an eyewitness, yeah. yeah. You can dismiss you, that and say, I don't care what that guy thinks. Yeah, you can accept the evidence as fact or you cannot. And so with the evidence being brought, with the eyewitness account being brought and all this stuff being brought, you as an individual um, get to decide what you believe after everything's presented. And I think that's when Romans chapter one, Paul says, you know, there's all these qualities that um, leave us without excuse that um, it points to a creator. Mm-hmm. Um, so um, to us, uh, when, we pres- when we when me and David and others um, try to present Jesus or Bible Christianity as truth, um, which we'll kind of examine a little bit. Um, you know, we say that in the sense that we believe that we have evidence. Here's our evidence. We have evidence. We have eyewitnesses that we'll talk about. Yeah. Um, so forth. So, but ultimately you get to decide. So, yeah. Um, sometimes I, I, you know, 
don't really lose sleep. You bring over. up the court thing, though, and people can even look at. Uh, you say they can believe or not an actual piece of evidence. They can bring a piece of evidence in court in a bag with a tag on it, and say that it was there. And some person who's a skeptical-minded type person can look at it and say, "I think that's fabricated. I think that's made up." <laughs> that's and, where we get conspiracy can, theories. Yeah, they can do the same thing with Christianity. We look at something and somebody says, "I think they're making that up. I just don't think that's a true story." Yeah. It's like, it's, it's as simple as I can tell you. Yeah, pretty much. So, uh, so starting off with atheists, atheists say they don't believe in God. And I guess put bananas in your ears if this offends you or something. But, I mean, I'm going to say what I'm going to say. <laughs> this is our podcast. So. <laughs> uh, atheists say they don't believe in God, but still spend most of their time arguing about something they don't believe in, rather than simply living out their unbelief. If you can, if you can live out your unbelief, and like I'm referring to the guy at work, he would he. I heard him one time literally say, "I just prayed to the good Lord that such and such blah blah blah," like it was almost just a statement of a cultural idiom. The good Lord, I hope to God that I hope to God that whatever follows after that. You really <laughs> just said that, and you're that's just something we say. Bless his heart. I mean, we joke about that as a Southern idiom, but <laughs> yeah. with these these things that we say that come out of our mouth, so the things that we say that come out of our mouth that refer to God. So even if somebody who's a, they say they're an atheist, if they're using OMG or they're using Oh My God or they're using the name of Jesus to swear, it shows they're not thinking very in-depthly about what they say they believe. They say they have this stance that they hold about the situation of God, yet they use things like that uh, damn comes from damnation. It is linked to the concept of hell. It comes from the Bible, period. If you don't believe in God or judgment, erase, oh my God, erase God, erase damn, erase the name of Jesus from your vocabulary. You, you can't use those. You <laughs> cannot use those anymore. It's pointless. Yeah. They, they're completely meaningless words. If you're an atheist and you don't believe in God, really and truly change your English. I also think it's pointless for them to argue. It's what now? It's pointless for them to argue their point. <laughs> if no matter what you believe, if we all end up in the ground, okay. So who cares if you're right? It does nothing. Yeah. It we it does nothing except fix what a few years on this earth compared to the trillions of years that we have, you know, et cetera. So to I mean, be nothing. Who cares if you're right? Just shut up. I mean, yeah. they really don't. Uh, anyway. Well, like I say, live out your unbelief. Um, instead of spending time arguing and fighting about it, I know you're going to be confronted with Christians that are pushy. And like you said a while ago, this is our podcast. We'll say we won't. On the street or when I meet you somewhere in a restaurant or in public, I'm not throwing this in your face. Yeah. If I haven't built a relationship with you, I'm not giving any of this to you. I'm, I'm working on a relationship part first, usually with somebody, so I can tell and say what I want to to them then. And I've said plenty of things to this guy, like I'm referring to at work, over the years, because I've I've built a relationship over time with him. He knows who I am. He knows how I work, knows what I believe, knows what kind of person I am. And then we'll be out of town working together uh, at you know some school that the work has sent us to. We'll be the only two or maybe three guys out of town. So at night, what are we going to do when we get out of class? Is we're going to go back to the hotel, change clothes, and go out to eat. 
So there's been plenty of times I've got to have one-on-one conversations with him, but you can't bang him over the head all the time with the Bible. You got to act normal sometimes and talk about, you know, (laughs) life, life. (laughs) So uh, another type of person right in line after them. This is the person who thinks that God will accept them, even should accept them when they stand there with him after death. They don't know him. They don't seek him. This is when I told them all to go the, the mostly good. Yeah. They don't pursue religion in any way. They don't hate God. They don't love God. They just believe that they're a pretty good person. And uh, they kind of go with the concept to put everything on the scales and see how it comes out. So would you, would you categorize like new age type people in that or not so much? Mm, no, this is, I'm going back to the one where I say, this is the guy who cuts his grass, takes his trash off. He keeps his yard clean. He has, uh, he has the standard good job, wife, house, two and a half children, a cat and a dog. A half child. Yeah. <laughs> the, is that still the average in America? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> 2.3 kids per, per, per household. Congratulations. <laughs> Congratulations. You got the bottom third. <laughs> uh, it eats less than the top third, so... Poops less than the middle third. Oh, there you go. Um, but yeah, that's what I'm referring to is just the the average. Uh, this really is a good person. They really do have a good work ethic at work. They really do try to do the right thing in life. They really do. When you, because there's some that I have known like this. When you mention a thing that is a what we could what we call a conservative Christian value, when it's, when it gets into a political topic or a topic in the news, they. They stand with that side primarily. Yeah. They just don't go to church. They don't read the Bible and they don't claim to be Christian. They don't say, I believe in Jesus. They just, but they are a good person otherwise. They just go through life, help others out, work hard, right. provide for their family, et right. cetera. Right. That's, that's why I'm calling them mostly good. Okay. Uh, but most all of these we're talking about, though, still have a, a concept they believe that God basically decides what happens to them afterwards. The whole scales concept is is almost common to everybody, yeah. Outside of Christianity, right? Well, the problem is that the whole bunch of people in Christianity still go with the scales idea too, just because they're not reading the word. Yeah, I think we're getting that. Mind. Yeah, there's yeah. no scales beside the throne. So, <laughs> <clears throat> um, next one's just flat out non-believers. These probably go more with the atheist side, and I guess these are all fine lines, but. Uh, they are. They do believe in God, and they're kind of vehemently against having to be submitted to Him. Yeah. But I have linked these up to be kind of like Job's thinking. So, Job thirteen, thirty eight, and forty two. So you can kind of see us through the book progression of ideas. In Job thirteen three, he says, "But I would speak to the Almighty and desire to argue my case with God." And then over in Job thirty eight. It says, the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind. So, like, Job is shocked. After God gets finished speaking, you get over in Job 42, and Job changes his tune. I have uttered what I did not understand. Now my eyes see you. Therefore, I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes. (laughs) So, this is that non-believer who says they fall right in line with Job, even though he was, you know, Scratch what Job was in the beginning. He's going through some trials, going through some hard stuff, and he's wanting to go, even though he's one of God's believers, he's wanting to go argue his case to God like, <laughs> I really am a good guy. I don't <laughs> yeah. deserve all this. But then when he sees God, 
Because that, that's, that's the odd thing. He says, now my eyes see you. Therefore, I despise myself. And you picture the, the non-believer who says, when I see God, I'm going to ask him, blah, 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 or I'm going to tell him this. You're not. You go ahead and say that if you want to, but when you get there, you're not. And I'm not going to say I told you so, but you're not. Right. Yeah. <clears throat> Your case will be just like Job's case. Yeah. You're going to okay, just, my bad. I didn't realize that you were. You despise yourself in front of him. Yeah. And I don't have that. I want to ask him. I want to ask him. Blah, I, I, I want to ask him questions like, how did you make this work? How did you make the electrons spin like that <laughs> around the middle? <laughs> what made you come up with this whole idea, this concept? I mean, yeah, you know, the things we know are the things he created. Why did he create it? I mean, I want to ask questions like that. It's my own you know, point. But there's in, in reading that again today, just going back over my notes, I almost think even though I'm a believer and I say fully my entire salvation depends on the shoulders of Jesus Every single bit of it. Yeah. And I know, according to the Bible, if if that is true, it is exactly true that God will accept me for sure if I come under that premise. But I still think to myself, there's got to be fear in seeing him. I'm almost afraid still to see him thinking, when we really see the truth of God right in front of our face is when we really see the truth of us. Yeah. <laughs> the, There's yeah. going to be some self-despising going on. I mean, you know, we forget that Christians are going to be judged too. Yeah. And some of the way, we're just going to get to heaven, but it's going to be a great time, but there's also going to be a time of, it's not going to be pretty in the sense that we're going to see who we really are, see how what we missed, how far we missed it, and see that if we thought we were actually good, and we see God and, and his glory. Yeah. <laughs> we're going to be in for rude awakening. Yeah. And then obviously, you know, the things Paul talks about that will burn up in the fire, um, things that don't uh, matter. Um, but. What else you got? Well, I, since, since you were kind of mentioning those different people, I didn't have it in my notes, but I thought uh, my mom went to like the new age to where, um, and since we're dealing with Jesus and some things um, about that all roads lead to heaven. And, yeah. you know, it's, it's a common thing and preachers preach it to death. Unfortunately, it's, it's kind of like, yeah, I've, I've heard it. I get it. Um, but, you know, one is, you know, at, at one time there were a lot of people saying Jesus didn't exist as a man. Well, that's been debunked pretty simply because there's historical records that are from Christians that um, say, yeah, this Jesus guy existed. He, you know, yeah. Um, so um, it's the miracles and who he claimed to be, obviously, that um, is different. But, you know, when I think of the new age and we get into Buddhism and, and Hinduism and um, I think it's I think it's your next point about doing the works. Yeah. As far as um, hitting works. I don't know if you put it in your notes, but, you know, my question is always and I think your question is, too, is um what is good? Who defines good? Um, if you have to do X amount of good works, well, who makes that decision on what's good? Um, just because your scripture or the person who founded it, whether it's Buddha, um, Muhammad, um, well, to Krishna. Dis- to make a distinction in what is good versus how much good is enough good. Yeah. I think I, I, 
wonder more on the a system of works. How much is enough? There's, it's, I think it's pretty easy for, for most of humanity to look at certain things that are in, in broad sense and say, that's good and that's bad. Right. Uh, I think there's, there's plenty of things we can do that are above good in the eyes of most anyone in society. But if we think that makes us good enough, that's what I find myself wondering the most is like, <clears throat> how, how high does this rank on any scale of good? Yeah. Well, you, you kind of dabbled in a little bit of like new age type stuff. So yeah. if, if I, if I came to you and I asked you, um, that, I mean, I mean, so if I, so if I came to you and asked you, um, that, okay, let, let's say you believe lying is bad. Lying is a general rule. It's bad because it gets you in trouble, worse, et cetera. Everyone, the religious systems, atheists, everyone kind of agrees that it's it's mostly bad. Lying's bad. Don't lie. And so <laughs> just don't lie, kids. Um, <laughs> I'm not promoting lying. But my, I, I share this example kind of like Galatians, which I don't really want to get into too much. But um, so if lying's bad, and let's say um, – murder is bad how would you as a new age i know how i know how i would from a christian standpoint defend myself but how would say a new age person defend themselves in the sense that if lying's bad and murder's bad and world war ii is here and the nazis come to your house and you have jews hiding in your home and the nazis say hey got any jews in your house (laughs) Do you lie <laughs> or do you give them over knowing that they're going to be murdered? I say they're both bad. I say, hold on a minute. And I come back and say, here's your orange juice. <laughs> no speak English. <laughs> here's your orange juice. Well, they don't either. <laughs> they're Germans, but you know. <laughs> but um, so I, I, the reason why I brought that up is, is uh, the whole good and bad thing. You know, we, we all have these rules and guidelines, but there has to be some kind of definition of yeah. So how would they make the decision if they if they have no regulate if they have no? Sp- I want to throw something at you that has made me wonder even about where I was before I was Christian. There was not a self sense of until right near the very end of my I call it my, my pagan time near the very end of all that before I got saved is when I first started seeing I had any issue at all of morality or sin. I did not live every day thinking that I was in any way bad. I guess if you asked me, I would have thought I was good, but I didn't think all the time I'm a good person. I just didn't think in those terms. And the system that I was, uh, I guess, reading in and studying in and practicing in, mm-hmm. we didn't teach. I and mean, it was not taught to me. I didn't come across it hardly ever, that it was not a concept to uh, consider that there was a judgment. That wasn't something that we, because if nothing else, there is a, uh, and reincarnation does possess some concept of judgment because you've got to come out higher or, or lower on the levels right. when, you, when you get reborn. But <clears throat> with that being included in our, our cosmology, it was or our theology. It was not something to even consider that there was a final judgment and an end. So when you asked me 
<laughs> how do you deal with things morally and what is good and what's bad, et cetera. It wasn't something that was within everything we talked about and, and tried to do. Gotcha. So I, I think about it now, though, and I think to myself, I did not come to Christ because I was just so destructed over this long life of I loathe myself. It was at the very, very end there when I started to realize I have broken my life. I don't have a clue what I'm doing. <laughs> and yeah. uh, I don't know. I, when I came down to that very end, though, there was a whole bunch of different things that were, uh, what's the word, dawning on me. And some of those things were finally, yes, I have screwed up my whole life. Yes, I've done some wrong that I don't know how to fix or it's too late and I've already broke some things because of what I did. And then there was also this, uh, when I, I remember thinking, and I think I've told you this before, when I was a kid, God had a face. I don't, I didn't know how biblical that was. I just knew when I was in church, when I was a kid, Jesus, yeah. I didn't make the association that God, this huge, <laughs> massive power Light, love, spirit, being, made the universe, and then was incarnated as a man. I didn't understand or know all that when I got saved. I just know right before I got saved, I started thinking, when I was a kid, God had a face. And I just felt this missing in my heart to have that back. That's what brought me to say, I realize that what whatever this is, it's happening in my thoughts this is about Jesus and I started reading the Bible at home again but it was a long time before I really the more I have gotten to know Jesus and that's been over the 13 is it 13 years now I think 13 years I've been saved 13 or 14 where the more I know him the more I know myself and it's just like Job's end answer oh now I see you and I despise me right well not to put you on the spot But when you say, oh my gosh, <laughs> sorry, um, but you know, it is how it is. Um, so when you're talking about um, you finding yourself, you were at the end of a certain point and you accepted Jesus and you were kind of finding yourself and who you were. It's just, we're kind of getting into the works and karma and all that. I'm going on this, that how would you, and because again, we're talking about Jesus overall um, and Christian, the Christian worldview. Um, you know, that's how Buddha became Buddha is he left his Hindu parents because he didn't like a lot of what was going on. Right. And he felt like there was more or he felt like there was something missing. He left, went out um, in the cave. I don't remember all the details, but um, and became enlightened and said, you know, there's, there's now there's this other path. So when you said that you were at the end of your point and of the pagan world and you kind of found Jesus and found yourself, how would you defend? I mean, again, I'm putting you on a spot. How would you defend it in the sense of, okay, you have Buddha um, who left Hindu and became enlightened through Buddha or Buddhism. Okay, let's back up then and see if we layered Buddha over my life. His parents would have been my parents. Mm -hmm. I would have been him, meaning that in the end of all things, he would have been Hindu again. I was taken to church until I was 13 when I finally Mm, started fighting back. I left what they had tried to give me and searched around. Uh, 
I can't speak for him and what he would have the opportunity to look at. I don't know sure. if he had the opportunity to consider Christ, but I had the opportunity to consider Christ. I looked at mythologies and religions uh, and whatever else you want to call them from uh, Babylonian times, uh, Egyptian stuff, Celtic stuff, Roman and Greek stuff, name it. Anything I get my hands on that was religious, like, or whatever, I studied <clears throat> everything from astrology to astronomy. So from a science-ended point of the same concept or same idea yeah. or subject to a esoteric-type sense of the same subject to see what all was there. I'm looking at, you know, from a layman's stance, I'm even getting books from the library on particle physics and trying to understand that I went with the concept that God is true and that there must be some core truth down in the middle of all things. And the, the phrase that came to my mind then that I have always retained as part of my witness is that God was not a fish in that pond. He's not in that pond at all with all that other stuff. So if Buddha had left his Hindu parents and went out to search around and consider all things truthfully and then tried to grab on what he, the best he can say, Occam's razor, yeah. this is the most true-like thing I can guess at, even with faith being involved in all of them, I came back to Christianity. Gotcha. And he said he made his own, quote, religion or, right. quote, uh, right. enlightenment of this is the truth. And that's a good. Point. All that said, though, I did not. I don't say Christianity is true because I'm a Christian. I came back to Christianity because I found it to be true. Yeah. After considering as many things I could get my hands on. Right. One thing that also talking about Buddhism a moment ago, uh, and or reincarnation, which is in the Buddhism idea, or in most of all these other uh, religions. <laughs> yeah. That concept seems cool if you're not Christian, if you are pagan. <laughs> But everybody I ever knew who in that circle, they were always somebody. They're nobody this life, but they used to be Abraham Lincoln. Or, you know, they were king of. Right. Yeah. And now they're a nobody in this life. Is that really the same spirit? Reborn into a new body? They must have been doing a lot of bad stuff to get to this point. (laughs) Yeah, they had to get demoted. And then, of course, there was no bad, though. They did good. Yeah. So I saw that, but. One of the main deepest studies I was getting into right before I got saved was Buddhism, particularly by chance. Not while I was leading the conversation in this direction, but as I read about a much deeper understanding and an extended, kind of extended version of Buddhism, that you can become so elevated to become above the karma of rebirth and you become angelic or demigod-like as you become elevated in your enlightenment, you can get so high up that you become uninvolved and cold to the issues of man back down here on earth. Okay. At this point, you hit an, a period of pride and arrogancy. And then, for some reason, it taught that you fall back down and start all over again. Yeah. And it depressed me so much more that there is no end and there is no final rest I mean, isn't that what we're all shooting for? Is, as Christians, isn't that what we're shooting for? Is we want right. to get to heaven and finally have some rest. Yeah. There, um, there, there's a book. Um, I don't know if you've read it, but um, if the listener hasn't read it, it's a fictional. It's a there's a true story involved, but it's a fictional book called The Lotus and the Cross, and it's by Ravi Zacharias. Uh-huh. 
And um, basically, he tells a story about a lady, Prilla or Prilla, I can't remember pronounce her name. Um, the true story is that this lady um, grew up and um, her parents decided to sell her. And she became um, a prostitute or whatever you want to call them there. And she wanted to die. And um, so she tried to kill herself. It failed. And so she figured out the best way to kill herself was to lock herself in her house and set on fire. And that's how she died. And so Ravi was saying um, she was a Hindu. And so Ravi was saying, um, you know, what would it be like if this lady was able to meet Jesus and Buddha? Or she was Buddha, sorry. Um, if, if this lady was able to meet Jesus and Buddha. And because Ravi is in that has been in that culture, has seen that stuff, he right. said, this is, I want to know what it would be like for Jesus to talk to Buddha, Buddha to talk to Jesus, and both of them have interaction with this lady. So the whole book, really short book, but the whole book is them on a boat <clears throat> going down the river and Jesus and Buddha are having this conversation. And, and Ravi does a great job of articulating a good conversation, you know, respecting each other. And Jesus says, you know, I'm respecting his search for truth and they're going back and forth. Mm -hmm. But one of my favorite parts, the first time I read it, it made me cry because, um, the lady had a, the lady had AIDS by the way. And so, um, <clears throat> and, and so Robbie talked about how, can you imagine knowing how, knowing you have AIDS and then you being paid to sleep with businessmen, um, wealth guys, uh, you know, whatever. And you're giving them the death sentence. Mm -hmm. And of course they believe in reincarnation. And so she was wondering, you know, is she reaping something? Then she's giving them bad karma because they've done something. And she was just a complete hopeless mess. Yeah. Like you were talking about it just, wheel. yeah. And so she killed herself. And, so when the conversation comes, um, she gets to the point where she's like, I'm really thirsty. And and she's cold and shivering, and she tries to reach out her hand, and Ravi describes how her hand looks based on the disease and everything. And Jesus says, I'll get it for you. She says, no, I, you can't touch me. You're not supposed to touch me. I have a disease, and I'm hitting blah, and Jesus ignores her, dips the cup in the water or the river, and gives her the water. And Buddha said, I can't. He can't touch her. He can't give her a cup of water because then he would be getting himself involved in her life, mm -hmm. which would contradict his state of being selfless because there is no self. Yeah. So it was kind of like, wow, you know, I never thought of that to where. Um, Jesus can go where the hurting people are. I mean, that's the whole point of Jesus coming down. It's yeah. this guy coming down to us when everyone else is. We're trying to, we're trying to, we're trying to go up. We're trying, like you're talking, about, we're trying to elevate ourselves. We're trying yeah. to be better people. And God says, "You're so bad. Yeah, stop it. You're making things worse." So I want to say, my son, here, here's the truth. Here's the word. Here's how to do it. But you'll never be able to do it. 
so he's going to die for you. You know, that whole kind of the Exodus movie. The plot was just so bad, there was no saving it about a third of the way into the movie. I, ne- <laughs> <laughs> I never saw the movie. You told me not to see it, so. Yeah, um, it, it was just so far off of biblical. It was, <laughs> I mean, Noah was to a T compared. <laughs> okay, so uh, on to the kind of the concept of working hard for salvation because there's, uh, yeah, I, the, I guess the atheists can argue all they want to, but. Outside of that, the average person thinks they're going to see God afterwards, yeah. after life. Everyone's going to heaven. And there's a need for forgiveness. So people are working hard for salvation all over the earth. Um, the problem exists with this that your eternal condition is decided right now. If you're bringing good works, those good works have to be performed and completed in the life before death comes. If you're doing the whole system of works thing, uh, you have to do more good than bad. Uh, Let's see. I have a typo there, so I don't know what that means. (laughs) Either way, you have to do all the the good and bad you're going to do and try to do the more good so your scales come out heavy. you got to do it back here in the life. So you're in a works-based system. No matter what religion you're in, That is back here in the life. That has to be done before you die. So your decision's already made. You may not know the outcome, but what you have to bring to put in the scales you think are there, all that had to be done back here before death. It's not a end up in in the afterlife and see if. <laughs> right. There, I guess in the end, there really is no see if. I, I use that phrase because there's a whole bunch of guys at work that when they troubleshoot something, they... We have meters that do copper tests. It'll tell you what's wrong with the pair of wire, and you can go to that measurement and fix it. Or you can use that same meter just to see if the signal will sync up. It's it's basically a modem, too. So if you just go to some spot and you hook it up and see if it will sync, and you think that means there's no problem up to that point, that's called see if troubleshooting. We'll just see if it works. That's fine. I'll go fix it later because that doesn't work. There is no see if. See if is the stupid way to live, is a stupid way to troubleshoot, is a stupid way to die. It's the dumbest thing in the world. There's no see if. We should be, we we can know. First John uh, 5.13, we can know what the outcome is. That's why he yeah. wrote all that stuff that he decided to write and, and got into the Bible. Uh, yeah. Anyways, brings us to the point though. You got to do all the stuff you're going to do in the life. How much is enough? I wonder when when you think of when you have a scale. You know, you imagine you have a scale in front of you. Um, you have you know you drop a little stone for bad and you drop a little stone for good. But I wonder if there is if the, if if an act of if a certain act of good outweighs a certain act of bad. Meaning, if I if I kill somebody, is that one stone? Two stones. If I kill somebody, let's just throw this one stone. Well, if I help an old lady cross the street, is that equal? Does that, that outweigh? Yeah. Does that outweigh that single act of bad, or do I need to do more good to outweigh that? I don't know if there's a measurement other than you just try to do the most good you can. I mean, I guess go ahead and picture in your mind then an increment scale, zero in the middle, mm-hmm. uh, equal divisions in both directions, right and left. Whichever side you want to say is bad. Yeah. And good, right. the other side. Whatever the the acts are, if if you do, if you say you murder, and that's that's worth ten negatives, and you take out the trash for your neighbor across the street who's elderly, uh, fifty times, that's worth 
10 goods, <laughs> whatever it is, though, there's still a system there that you sure. believe is you're going to take you're going to take all your train, take the trash out times. Yeah. And then take out your one murder time with you and you're, you're going to hope those come out. Uh, that's, uh, that's exhausting. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly what it would be. Uh, all the stances still agree, though, that it's God's decision about you after death. That's that's the whole deal. But a Buddhist monk, this this is uh, what I had done was a paper I had to write a while back. I basically grabbed a couple of details out of it. So these are not just, I found this on the internet. This is uh, <laughs> a book I have about Buddhism by Richard A. Gard. 1961, page 103, a Buddhist monk desires to be rid of all defilements. He is aware of his defilements and knows that they are desirable to rectify, but how is this accomplished? He must work hard. That's, I mean, he's got to do something about it. A uh, different book from the same paper, uh, Linus Renault, also 1961, page 20, the Hindu considers himself alone responsible for his salvation, but believes that his faith is divine by how much conviction he has in the effectiveness of the rite. So when he does a thing, whatever the ceremony or the ritual is, how much uh, conviction does he have in the ceremony when he does it? That equals his faith. So he's got to do it with more feeling or whatever. (laughs) If yelling is part of the ritual, he's got to yell louder. <clears throat> that still comes down to he must work hard. <laughs> uh, Renault writes another little comment here on ultimate ends and future life. There is no clear perspective. So just to, I guess to kind of <coughs> jump it up together, some of these last ones we're going to mention. In conclusion, Jehovah's Witness have to work hard. They knock doors. Mormon boys have to work hard. They ride bikes. Muslims have to work hard. They have to carry out the five pillars of Islam. One of those being a trip to Mecca during your life. Yeah. I hope you're not born somewhere really far away to a poor Muslim family and you can't afford a plane ticket. Because <laughs> you failed. You don't even have an opportunity. Uh, even non-believers slash atheists usually fall into the camp of philanthropists and environmentalists. And what do they have to do? They have to work hard. <laughs> they got to save the whales and they got to stop global warming. Yeah. They got to do all these little things that we have. Well, I mean, it, my wife also, she's going to Greenville Tech right now and just to study English. And she has one professor who is from uh, California and her assignments usually have, are, they're pretty thick in agenda, the, the standard college agenda. She's from California. She's a doctor-level professor of the college. This, the regular agendas you're thinking of. So, yeah. But uh, there's a lot of little things about the environment, and it'll just be a sample sentence so you can see the grammar in this particular sentence, and it'll be something about global warming. It's like, that's not necessary. But anyway. Well, tell her I'd be more than happy to debate the professor. <laughs> I will, too. <laughs> I got a 15-page paper already worked up. I'll go get it. <laughs> um, either way, all of these, they have to work hard. They have to work hard. They have to work hard. And all of these mock grace. Proverbs fourteen nine says, The fools mock at the guilt offering, but the upright enjoy acceptance. That had never hit me until I 
probably when I was writing that paper right there, fools mock the guilt offering. Huh. I mean, the guilt offering that God offered to us yeah. is Jesus, and fools mock that. Grace is not hard works to achieve. And the, and everybody who's working their, their tail off, in good, they're trying their best in good faith. Jehovah's Witness, or they're honestly trying to do what they think is right. Part of their sure. program is they got to knock a certain amount of doors. And Mormon boys, they got to ride that bike, and they got to go to a certain amount of number, neighborhoods and also talk to a certain amount of people. Right. But hard work, and that's all to achieve, which you, it just doesn't work. Yeah, I put, um, if we could work hard enough to earn salvation or to earn freedom or to earn whatever it is, um, then really there is no need for God to intervene. If, you're, if your hard work can pay for X amount, then there really is no God and Jesus is just a man. Um, but if Jesus is the Son of God, then we're presented with a problem because um, earning God's favor by works does not work. Um, also, the fact that you need you need you need infinite lives to even reach nirvana or to um, you know. My point is, it almost seems like a limitless task to make it to salvation. Yeah, um, it seems like there's there's really no way to do it except you go through these reincarnation. I mean, Scientology believes in reincarnation, um, so it, it's like a cop out to me. That yeah. if you don't make it this life, you just get to redo it again. So no, they, they keep earning. Oh, you have to do it again. Oh no! <laughs> uh, so why the try? thing that was always puzzling to me is if people have been multiplying in population for all these. Well, if you go with reincarnation, then you go probably end up going with the Big Bang and with millions of years. So, if people have been multiplying the number in the population for the last 13 million or whatever years, then why are there only seven, is it seven billion now? I don't know. There's only seven billion of us on the planet. That's all? There's never been this many before. So where are the new souls coming from? And the weird thing is, Buddha doesn't really teach there's technically souls. There's like an argument between <clears throat> the different sects of Buddhism, but... Um, I think the majority believes that there's really no soul. And the, the purpose of Buddha is to find out there's no self is to, if, if you're not involving yourself into all these issues, then there's going to be no problem. If you don't love, if you don't um, risk um, loving someone, you won't risk being hurt. If you don't risk, um, you know, lending a hand to someone, you won't risk your hand being cut off or being stabbed in the back, et cetera. So your point is to really just be about yourself, stick to yourself, focus on yourself. Yeah. But at the end of the day, there is no self. Well, I was going to say the point is, well, for what you just described, the point is to find there is no self, but it ends up becoming a very selfish thing. Right. Yeah. yeah. So it's just kind of a strange. Yeah. Real, really, it's <laughs> weird. Christianity is the only worldview, whether you call it religion or not, it's the only worldview that gives you some type of assurance that's not dependent on you. It's not yeah. dependent on your best or your worst. It's dependent on God's best. Well, I thought you were going to say, well, I'll go to mention your worst. I thought you were going to say, if you can earn it, can you lose it? If you can earn it by good works, can you get rid of it by good works or lose it without without your will? Right. 
oops, uh, I really messed up. And now I died. And God <laughs> says, I'm sorry, you you almost had it. And then you did something wrong that last day yeah. and go to hell. Yeah, well, I'm Armenian. <laughs> I guess the ones that always said not Calvinist. Um, my argument would be for that is, <clears throat> I think we've talked about it before, I don't know, but I believe um, if, if you're a true believer, true Christian, um, and you make a, you sin, you deliberately sin, do something against God's will, and you die right after. If you go to hell, I think that cheapens God's grace. I don't think that means, I think that means God's grace is not really worth much. Yeah. But God's grace extends beyond a lot. And um, I mean, if love covers a multitude of sin, um, multitudes many. So I think God's grace extends really beyond than just a bunch of sin acts or mess ups or whatever. Um, I do believe you can lose your salvation. Um, in Galatians, um, it talks about, you know, Paul is, yeah, Paul is warning these Gentile believers who, um, are being influenced. I know we're going Galatians, um, who are being influenced by these, uh, Jewish Judaism, whatever yeah. saying, Hey guys, um, it's awesome. You believe in Jesus. That's cool. We're glad for it. You're doing good things, but you need to do, you need to come back and follow the law. Yeah. Um, and Paul says, no, um, if you, if you live by the fruit of the spirit, which Paul lists, you know, goodness, self, uh, self-control, uh, mercy, etc. If you live by these things and there's no uh, reason for the law, what it means is a person who lives that way doesn't, um, the law was not written for a person like that. The law was written for a person to keep a person within the guidelines. So if you lived like that, you wouldn't necessarily need the law. And Paul talks about, you know, the spirit is, is whatever. Yeah. So Paul, so when Paul's telling these Gentile believers, if you go back to, if you go to their way, then you're going to be judged by the law. Um, if you're judged by the law, you're yeah. going to be guilty, et cetera. Okay. And the word he uses when he says about being fallen away, I think it's in chapter five, um, that word falling away in the Greek is actually the same word used to describe a um, ship going off course and hitting a rock or hitting ground. So if Paul's warning is so strong, and these are believers, Paul obviously says, you guys doing great, but you're foolish because you think you can obtain salvation by following the law when Jesus already fixed this problem. And so I think with Paul warning them um, about going in that route, I think one, it shows that we can lose our salvation. We can mess up because, you know, the writer of Hebrews, like you're doing, if Jesus died for your sins and you go back another way, what is the sacrifice? It, right. It's pointless. It's worthless. It means nothing. Right. So in, in my opinion, I believe. I was going to say it was reminding me of uh, Second Peter and <clears throat> Jude talking about false teachers oh, yeah. and shipwrecking believers, shipwrecking their faith. Yeah. You can, if you can be shipwrecked, then there must be some course to stay on that's safe from the rocks that are under the sea, yeah. under the surface of the water. Now, I don't uh, know what point of that losing salvation is. I'm not saying every time you sin, but obviously there's a warning that if you continue down this path, yeah. there is a point of God says, okay, I mean, he did it to Saul, you know, Samuel sitting there praying for Saul and God says, Hey, all right, enough's enough. Stop praying. Yeah. 
I've anointed someone else, which is a, a pretty um, rough thing to hear. I've never heard God say that to me, but yeah, I mean, it's there. <laughs> but, but you know, surely there are men of God in the church that have heard God say that. Yeah. So uh, I'll just leave that there. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I didn't mean to get on that rant. <laughs> uh, let's see this, I'm not sure this last page. I got a little bit more on. Uh, let's see. I've got a little bit larger example through Buddhist doctrine, and I'll be finished with them in a moment. Uh, Gard, that's that author. Gard starts his book with a proclamation. Buddhism is a human ideal intended to be universally human. That means it agrees with the peak ideal for a human to attain for all people. So the three jewels of Buddhism show the desire for what the God of the Bible promised. The, the three jewels of Buddhism, to be enlightened, to know and respect doctrine, law, and truth, community, or ecclesia, that's this author's own words, or ecclesia, which is what the Greek word for the church is, is community, the, the gathering. Those, those three things right there that he says are the three, quote-unquote, jewels of Buddhism, that's what the God of the Bible is already offering. Yeah. Um, within the principle, or this is a little bit deeper stuff that he brings out, within the second principle of the nature of causation, the Samudaya Saka, all phenomena are impermanent, imperfect, and non-interdependent. I mean, the things are not dependent on one another. They're not linked together. These concepts feed into karma, which says that actions have consequences, which is exactly the opposite. <laughs> if this karma, or excuse me, if this principle is taken literally and altogether, what is man to receive in karma? He is subject to something above himself. If karma exists at all, who is inflicting karma on you? You can say, this is my karma, I did such and such, so this came to me in the next life or whatever. But if there is no one above you in control of all that, if there's no one inflicting a law of karma on you, yeah. if you're in control of your own life and you are not dependent, everything is non-interdependent, then why don't you just disregard your karma <laughs> and make yourself a better rebirth? <laughs> yeah. Anyway, uh, if Buddhism says that man is impermanent, imperfect, and non-interdependent, and the Bible set agrees, saying man is temporary, sinful, and while he has free will, he's not a free agent, he is not independent, and therefore cannot create his own world to live in by his own rules. For if he could, he would inflict karma on who would inflict the karma on themselves, which is what I just said, but I didn't know I had written it. <laughs> there is one, all this points to say, though, there is one outside of us who judges all things. Uh, to end this works-based section, in all systems, every single one, salvation is burst. Uh, burst. Boom. <laughs> salvation is based on a hard work, but it's just not man's work. True salvation is based on work. Right. Every single system is. It's just not on man's work. So in the in the Christian doctrine also, it's just not based on our work. Yeah, that's a good point. Um, since we're kind of, I guess, wrapping up the works and, I mean, the the whole premise of, of the work talk and 
um, us dealing with Jesus is, is about salvation. And <clears throat> I think sometimes we, um, uh, that was one point when I was, um, that I didn't say in our Galatians study over there, um, dealing with Paul and James, um, <clears throat> it just made me think about it is that, you know, we forget the purpose of salvation. I think, um, the Jews, um, their purpose, they thought the purpose of salvation was to be good, to follow God's law. And it's pretty much it. And Paul says, um, no, Jesus did it all. Nothing you can do. Sorry. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know we talked about the car illustration. Another illustration that I thought about was um, a diagnosis. You know, if me and you go in the hospital and um, let's say I, you break your leg and I'm, I'm fat. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so, so, you know, we're going to have a different diagnosis. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, um, I'm not sure if that's David, related. Stay in your bed, get rest. Mark, you need to get up and walk. Um, and so we have a different diagnosis and um, Paul and James are diagnosing it, there's different issues, but the same problem, meaning um, they're both dealing with, you know, one, uh, you know, Paul is saying, hey, guys, you're doing great. Um, don't be dependent on this. Jesus did it. James is saying, hey, guys, stop sitting off your butt. Do something. Yeah. Because salvation isn't just a golden ticket that you find in a kidney barter and you say, hey, I got a golden ticket. Sweet. I got a golden ticket. That's in my head now. <laughs> Sorry. Um, <laughs> but and I think that that's effective in, in, in the church world is we think salvation is um, we say a prayer or we say a prayer. We we, uh, you know, cry or whatever we need to do. And we start coming to church. <laughs> That's salvation. Sweet. I made it. I'm in. Yeah. I'm in the club. Now what? Yeah. Nothing. And I think then you point to James and say. No, sit down the pew and shut up. Yeah. And James is like, no, get up and move. Yeah. Um, and so. But don't you know, dance because you go to hell for that. <laughs> <laughs> and so, you know, when we talk about works, Christians do work, but not for right. salvation, but right. because our salvation and so we're not saying, you know, don't work and don't do works, but we don't work ourselves in, a, in an exhaustive way because Jesus did the hard part. We did the simple part, really. Right. Um, so you uh, I've seen this in my Christian world. You can you'll be asked to, to do 100 things. If you ever say yes to one, you'll be asked <laughs> to do 100 more things. Yeah. But there would there does come a time where you have to say, OK, uh, I'm I'm maxed out. I'm too exhausted. I have noticed several times I have said yes too many times, and now i got 12 things on my plate. I literally, when I realized that, had to go back to the last one and say, sorry, I've got to renege on my word to you. I'm too, I'm, I'm just loaded down, and I've accepted too many things. I can't do this, this right here. I'm going to continue doing these other 11 things, yeah. and that's it. But you, can, you have to go back sometimes and say, okay, uh, <laughs> I'm not Superman. I'm just... Trying to be obedient, and you've asked me the last thing, and I have to take mine back from you. But have you ever been asked by a non Christian, you know, if they say, I need a handout or I need help with this, and you say no or whatever, and you say, but you're supposed to be a Christian? Have uh, you ever got that before? Not that particular scenario, but I have heard the, oh, I thought you were a Christian. <laughs> yes, yeah. yeah, same I thought you thing. would be a Christian. Yeah. The thing is, the person who normally says that doesn't read the Bible. <laughs> yeah. 
And one guy who said it to me one time, oh, I thought you were some big Christian. I said, have you been reading the Bible? No. I said, that's the only book that tells you what a Christian is supposed to be like. So how would you know what I'm supposed to act like anyway? <laughs> that was, I mean, he was a friend. He was just kind of joking around, but he's kind of, he kind of threw me out there like that in front of a huge group of people. So yeah. I had to respond with something, but like, there's one book that tells us what they're supposed to be like. And if you're not reading it, they're throwing that, throwing the name back to somebody and, and mocking <laughs> them with it is That's a good point. kind of stupid. <laughs> Let's see. Uh, next thing I was going to move on to is the just the idea there is no static status. So what is static? You turn your television on, it's static. It's just black and white fuzz. Static basically is, is the same thing. It stays there. Um, example, though, uh, campfire. The heat off of a fire is not static. You can stand there with your back to it if your back was cold. And you'll start realizing it gets hotter and hotter and hotter. You got to change. You can't stay in the same way. That's Texas consistent, right? Constant. And you'll turn around because your front side's cold and your backside's now burning up. And pretty soon you'll start feeling that you have been there long enough. You need to get away from the front side. Now your back's cold. That's not static. That's a constant change. And that's the average every single thing in life. Relationships, uh, work, everything. Name it. So there is no static status. So when I say that, I'm I'm referring to, uh, well, every religion in the world is based on works, and all are trying to accomplish more good than bad. Only a rare few would say perfection is attainable, but they strive for it anyway. Christianity also being based on works, and perfection is proclaimed to have already been accomplished. What's the difference? So it's Jesus' work. Jesus perfected it. Jesus offered us a ride on his coattails. In fact, he demands that the only way that we can come to him is through him. When it comes to heaven, attachment to him is entry and rejection of him is not. Attachment to him or rejection of him. There is no static status. There's the, the good, mostly good guy who takes off his trash, cuts his grass, uh, pays his taxes, etc. That one we talked about a while ago. Mm-hmm. The two and a half kids. <laughs> Spiritually speaking, that guy does not exist. God says, you either are this or you're not this. And we can come to him and say, I want to be yours. I want to be attached to Jesus and be a Christian. And if we don't come to God and say that, he says, you are not a Christian. That's the dividing line there. There's no static status in the middle for the guy who's not worried about it or not concerned or he's not upset. He's not good or bad on the the premise, hot or cold. How would you deal with uh, the scripture that says be perfect? Whole different issue on. <laughs> oh, we need to redefine this. <laughs> <laughs> I, it just popped in my head. I, sorry, playing a little devil's advocate. <laughs> no, that's one of the things I had. You had to. It would take a long conversation to explain, but I basically had to try to say, uh, "Can I be perfect? Perfect as in I don't sin at all anymore? No, no." Can I be perfect as in I am making an attempt to be what I think God is leading me to be this moment? Perfected. Right. He's trying to get me to be perfect. And when I'm about in front of a sin, about to do it, and he says, David, uh uh-uh, don't do that. And I I recognize that's his voice. Oh, yes, you're right, God. (laughs) And I get back in line with him and say, you're right. that That was a sin. I should not be involved with that. And I avoid it. Great. I may fall tomorrow back into the same thing, 
but he's always working on me and I'm always paying attention. I have true guilt in doing that thing. So the more guilt I build up over time, the less involved with it I am or the more vehemently I fight against being involved with it. That is, I think, the most perfect we can become. I don't think you reach it. I don't think biblically you reach a time where you do not sin anymore. No. I mean, John, first John says, you think, if you think you're without sin, you're a liar. <laughs> yeah. just, that man, strong old man right there. <laughs> I, I know there's a... <clears throat> there's can you a, imagine Pastor standing up on Sunday morning and says, you're all a bunch of liars. <laughs> that's a good title. Um, <laughs> there, there, There's a pastor I know who um, was confused. and To me, I don't understand the confusion, but anyway, um, he was using that verse in First John, or he would say, you know, First John says, um, do not sin. Don't sin. I can't. Is it in chapter two or chapter three? I mean, I wish I would have brought that verse up. Um, do not sin. Yeah. So, um, if you're three. if you're a child of God, you will not sin. I think this is in chapter three. Let's see. Um, okay. Uh, verse uh, chapter three, verse nine. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning. Well. Okay, the ESV says it right. So, <laughs> um, but yeah, um, I think, yeah, I think um, in other versions it just says, um, those who are born of God do not sin. I think in King James it says that. Look um, at translation comparison. Everyone who is begotten of God doeth no sin. There you go. That's ASV, but that's. Well, King off. James pretty similar to that. Bleed off. Uh, doth not commit sin. Doth not. Yeah. So you doth not. You doth not commit sin. <laughs> you bet not. No. You bet not. So, but yeah, ESV is right. Practice sinning. So, <clears throat> a believer should not be practicing sin. You know, like Paul talks about, don't use your don't use your freedom as a license to commit sin. Um, again, your purpose is salvation, but. Um, What's the just wondering uh, the bad version there NIV (laughs) (laughs) no one who is born of God will continue to sin that's kind of ambiguously in the middle of the the King James and the ESV yeah that's the point I guess I'm trying to get to with you know with your verse you threw at me yeah (laughs) be perfect Anyway, so uh, we had discussed uh, basically at this point jumping into Jesus and going through John 15 through 18. 18 yeah, and we're not really going to hit verse by verse, and um, right. we're just going to kind of highlight some things that um, spoke to us and um, and dealing with pointing to his death and resurrection ultimately. So John 15, really, um, I think it's the whole chapter. Um I don't know how to put it, but um, God's uh, God's the vine dresser, and Jesus is the wine. Bam! There, there it is. is. <laughs> <laughs> oh goodness! <laughs> that should be our catchphrase. There it is. I hit that thing. Um, but yeah, God is the vine dresser, and Jesus is the vine. Um, the one thing I put was again, God continues His theme that we've established countless times in Genesis. Um, things produce according to its kind. You'll produce fruit based on the kind of tree you are. 
again, mm-hmm. you know, Galatians, you know, you'll produce that kind of fruit if that's, if you're a believer, if if you're filled with the Spirit and God's yeah. Spirit dwells in you, that's the kind of tree you'll be you'll produce. Love, mercy, grace. Um, what else you got in chapter fifteen? I had actually broken down to three different divisions. Uh, okay, fifteen one through seventeen. Without and, and just to, not to read the whole thing, but uh, yes, this is about the uh, the vine part that you were saying. To mm-hmm. sum it up, though, in my own words, without being attached to Jesus, one withers and is thrown away. Giving your life up for someone else is the greatest love there is. Jesus offers us to become friends, not servants. In Hebrews, he even calls us brothers. So I, I basically, I make my notes and I go out through it. And kind of like I do my devotions, I make a phrase in dark. So if you read the whole devotion and you went back over and read just the words in dark, you would just grab the main ideas. Main right. ideas, attached to Jesus, the greatest love, friends, brothers. My next division was John fifteen eighteen through 25. This is all dark. You either belong to God or to the world. Real simple. And 26 and 27. Jesus and God the Father are sending the Holy Spirit to call you from the world to them. That's the main idea there. Um, I want to read a few verses if that's cool with you. Um, I oh, just, man, we've got to read the Bible. <laughs> yeah, sorry about that. Um <laughs> I'm going to read the verses and kind of just share a few few words that I got from um, that I thought were kind of highlighting the the chapter. Uh, Verses 9 and 10 and 12 and 13 um, were kind of put together to get the whole idea. Um, 9 through 10 first says, As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commands, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and abide in his love. Uh, Verse 12 this is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this that someone laid down his life for his friends. Um, again, it's really love demonstrated by God, um, which is the only way for salvation. It's God's work in us through love. Um, verse 23 and 24. Uh, whoever hates me hates my father also. Um, if I had not, if, if I had not done among them the works that no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin. But now they have seen and hated both me and my father. Mm-hmm. Um, I put that they saw with their own eyes the works of Jesus and denied him. And we see that through the Gospels where people were witnessing and even experiencing these miracles. And at the end of the day, they still denied him. Yeah. Uh, so when people say, you know, well, show me this, show me that. And there were people here that saw him physically, saw yeah. him do things. And still, no. Walked away. Yeah, walked away. Um, Even some of his followers, which we'll get into in a second. Um, And verse 26 and 27. um, But when the helper comes, when he's talking about the Holy Spirit, um, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. And you also will bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. Um, Again, the Holy Spirit being sent to us and... I really want to emphasize the spirit of truth. Um, Jesus tells us really to seek out truth. And again, one of the commands, don't lie. If you lie, you know, Paul says, you know, liars won't inherit the kingdom of heaven. So lying is pretty strong warning for believers. Yeah. And Jesus even says, um, seek truth, discern my word or discern words, um, discern these teachings, etc." So the Bible tells you, to listen, listen and discern what you hear, seek truth, 
and don't lie. And yet we're the ones that um, are creating this line. But if we lie, that's not good for our fellowship with yeah. him. So, um, so those are my little few quick notes about John 15. Uh, I, had, I guess you intended also to move quicker through uh, 15, 16, 17-ish. Yeah. Unless you got anything really strong. No, I kind of compacted those those uh, those four chapters worth of notes into just a small amount. You mean you, mean you go through mine, then you go through yours, or? Mine on 16 are okay. about as long as they were on 15. Okay, go ahead. Uh, I, and again, I just made some divisions and kind of grabbed out what I thought were the main ideas. John 16, 1 through 4, A, be warned, the world will oust you from the club. 14b through 15, the Holy Spirit will bring you into more knowledge and relationship with God. It is his business to make God more accessible to men, not man's job to get closer to God. John 16, 16 through 24, sorrows will turn to joy when we see him. Hmm. That's kind of a great main concept to keep for your Christian walk. Mm -hmm. 25 through 33, Jesus doesn't offer to go talk to God for us. This is something that's pretty different from a lot of religion. He has made the way open for us to go directly into the throne room of grace. God loves you directly. And I kind of, I got something out of uh, Hebrews 4 here. Hebrews 4, 14, since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the son of God, 16, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of God, of, uh, excuse me, draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace and uh, help in time and need. Hmm. Just main concept there. <laughs> the world will kick you out of their club. The Holy Spirit is trying to uh, bring you closer to God. And Jesus doesn't go talk to God for you. He made the way open so you can go talk to God. Yeah. Um, again, I'm going to read some verses. No, cool. um, I'm going to read 8 through 11. Oh, um, not 8 through 11. Yeah, well, 8 through 11. <laughs> um, and when he, Holy Spirit, comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they did not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father. And you will see me no longer. Concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. Um, my point is, you know, if the, the Holy Spirit is our witness, it bears witness to Jesus. And then when it comes to us, that's how we're witnesses of Christ. And that's obviously in Acts. That's how we become witnesses is through God's um, spirit, which is the important part about the resurrection. Um, verse 12, um, Jesus says, I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. Um, again, the spirit of truth guides us in truth and speaks what he hears from God. I always like that verse. I mean, right. It lets me know um, he there's more truth than your brain can handle. <laughs> yeah. And then he was looking at the disciples saying, you've been walking with me for years now, watching me multiply fish and cast out demons and heal leprosy and fix blind, lame, whatever you want to call it, problems. Yeah. But there's still so much <laughs> that you can't even <laughs> handle it. And I'm going to send you this other one like me who's going to, keep guiding you into all the truth yeah into more of it because i mean jesus can't you know <clears throat> there's things now that you know television and movies and computers and countless other things jesus you know didn't 
obviously say, but that's when the Holy Spirit comes and yeah, I mean, he guides he us in this truth. <laughs> Man, what a boring life. No internet. <laughs> no, but uh, John 17, huh, which okay. is the prayer. That's right. David's tired. It's only 1030 <laughs> at night. <laughs> I think this morning I got up at five. <laughs> you think? It was 4.30 or 5. <laughs> or both. Was it? What did Jesus say to the disciples? Can you not you know, stay with me for one hour? Can you not record this podcast with me for an extra hour, David? Uh, Can't yeah, still if I give it 4.30 tomorrow morning. <laughs> it's still required. Uh, and this one right here, the, this chapter, I divided into three little sections. And kind of the heading of it to me is the Son of God is one of God who came to be a Son of Man. The Son of God is one of God who came to be a Son of Man. Jesus existed in glory before the world existed. That's one of the main points there. He came from glory of the, the glory of heaven, choosing to be one of us. He was ruling an obedient universe from a heavenly throne and chose to step down into this planet full of free will. He created knowingly to suffer the consequences. But Jesus existed in glory before the world existed. 6 through 19, he came to manifest the name of God and claims to have been given the Father's name. He manifests the name of God. 20 through 26, his goal was to pass along the love of God to his followers, followers so they will pass it on to the world. Jesus existed in glory before the world existed. He manifests the name of God to pass along the love of God. That's my simple points out of 17. I see my. You got some verses? I got verses. <laughs> Only two this time. Uh, verse 8. Uh, for I have given them the words that you, the Father, um, gave me, and they have received them and have come to know in truth that I came from you, and they have believed that you sent me. Um, here, I, I kind of emphasize that Jesus isn't talking um, about himself, meaning he's not putting himself on this pedestal. He's not giving himself all this credit and glorifying himself, yeah. but he's pointing to God. And we have the reincarnation and all this again that we talked about how it's ele they're elevating themselves self-help you're elevating yourself to be a better person you know jesus even said no one's good but god yeah and so jesus here is saying god i i told him everything you told me to do and jesus keeps pointing to the father yeah and obviously the father points to jesus the holy spirit points to jesus but jesus is pointing to the father um, as the that pure authority. So this is something I think I said a while ago in, in different words, but I see a lot of this in the church too. The Christian mind that is not pro programmed by the Scripture because they're not reading it enough. They may say if you ask them directly that they depend on Jesus to get in heaven, but I still hear a lot of this out of people who say they're Christians. Hear a lot of this out of their mouth that when they point to what they think is responsible for something, a lot of times it's their self. They don't actually, uh, it's, it always is the same thing, though. If you don't program your brain, program your heart with the Bible, you are being programmed with something. Everybody's programmed with something. But if you're not programming yourself consciously with the Word of God, you're not going to think God is actually what's doing it all. Yeah, that's a good point. 
So. It reminded me of a story that I heard from a missionary in uh, Jordan who um, said, you know, he was praying and, and he felt like God's, uh, he was at a funeral or um, this lady that just passed away and he was consoling the, the family. And he felt like God say, I want you to go pray that she'll rise from the dead. And he's like hesitant, hesitant, hesitant. And, and so he goes and sits down and prays for the person. And all of a sudden the body jumps up. And then he didn't realize it, but he looked to the side and someone stepped on the bench and it pushed the body up and it jumped. (laughs) And so he felt like, you know, man. And he said, as soon as he got up, God said, "Um, now you see, if I did did what I told you I was going to do, you would have taken all the credit. I'm not going to do it until I get it all. And so it's a good point where, you know, a lot of times we point to ourselves, our ministry or look what we can do through our prayers and mm-hmm. ultimately God does the work. It's yeah. we're really nothing except little pawns. Um, and I don't say that, you know, uh, that God doesn't give us meaning, but you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Um, verse 17 uh, says, sanctify them and the truth. Your word is truth. Again, Jesus is talking about truth and, and again, encouraging these disciples um, to know that God's word is true. And um, if it's true, then it'll test, it'll be tested and, and proven true. So, um, cool. John 18. This is where I got long winded. <laughs> go for it. You want me to go first this time? Sure, go ahead. All right, I go first. Verses. <laughs> um, verse 20. Um, Jesus answered, I have spoken openly you to the world. the first 19. Yeah, I know. I'm sorry about that. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I got to a point. No, you're good. Um, Jesus answered him, Pilate, um, I have spoken openly to the world, which I think is pretty important. Um, I have always taught in the synagogues and in the temple where all the Jews come together. I have said nothing in secret. Um, I think that's a pretty important thing that Jesus didn't do anything a secret. There's countless people who could testify of what he did. And even when the New Testament was written, a lot of those people were still around um, yeah. to dispute it. But <coughs> anyway, eyewitnesses again, um, 37 and 38, which I think are pretty important verses in the Bible. Um, Pilate said, so you are a king. Jesus answered, you say that I am the king. Um, I am a king. For this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I have come into the world, to bear witness to the truth. And everyone who is who and everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. And Pilate asked him, what is truth? And Pilate really didn't stand around and wait for an answer. Um, so he did he really want to know the truth? I don't know. Did he know what truth was? I don't know. <laughs> but again, Jesus is constantly telling people, you know, if if you want to know what truth is, it's there. You can find truth pretty simple if you listen to my words. And if you don't believe my words, test them. Yeah. So um, that's pretty much what I wrote down in John 18. I had a lot of preachers I heard on the radio preachers I was listening to when I first got saved. that said that repeatedly. Uh, just be earnest in searching the truth out. And if you find something that w- wasn't what you were expecting and you accept that, you'll eventually make it to the actual real truth. That's yeah. what I was looking for. I was looking for God and <clears throat> all that stuff. Eventually, I'm sitting here now. Yeah. I mean, there's there's questions that I still have. Um, 
even in the Bible that um, I'm not satisfied with some of the answers I hear. Um, it's just going towards Jephthah. <laughs> no, not really, but <laughs> that's one. Um, Jephthah's one. Um, Samuel um, being summoned up by yeah. medium, that's another. Um, and, you know, there's questions about life that, um, you know, um, I wonder about as far as... Um, I don't, know, I don't want to get into all that. So anyway, but there, but there's <laughs> but there's questions, you know, that um, I'm I'm doing, but it hasn't wrecked my faith, and it hasn't made anything Jesus ever said in the Bible as untrue. It just means um, I'm still searching for what the truth is about those things. Yeah, so searching for end answers. Yeah, to sweep up some loose ends. Right. When I found myself wondering about my faith, and I go back and kind of <clears throat> re-examine my foundation again. There's always this part where I have to go back and say, uh, all I know is I have too, too many examples in my life that it has been true. He told me to do X and I did it and he did Y like he promised he would or, you know, whatever. Or he promises ahead of time that he's going to take care of you no matter what. And then he tells you to do something that seems to put your take care of in detriment and then you do it because you think you're being obedient and he takes care of it. Uh, and they're not, it's not something concrete. I can walk outside and point to a scratch on my car and say an accident happened. Now it's not <laughs> something I have evidence of like that. Yeah. But if you, if you had time for me to sit and tell you about my, my whole Christian story, it ends up involving a lot of those different kinds of things. We could talk about the coincidence or whatever you want to talk about too, but right. too many of them sometimes are too specific. So <laughs> Yeah, very much so. So in John 18, I uh, kind of give it a title myself again. <laughs> Man arrests the light of the world and puts him on trial in darkness. The interesting thing I saw this time I haven't seen before, mm-hmm. Peter is questioned and Jesus is questioned. Mm. We all know Jesus' question, but Peter's question also. We all know that. I just never have made note that John, either by inspiration or by craft, decides to put some of these things in the same chapter together, like like lining up the questioning of Jesus and the questioning of Peter. Mm. It's a good movie, like little <laughs> yeah. thing when you're going back and forth between two characters. Right. Like, yeah. So uh, John 18, 1 through 11, Judas brings soldiers to arrest Jesus and instead finds the I am. Uh, this is something neat through John 18, anyway. <coughs> or no, actually, it's John 8, where it has it three different times. Isn't that where he says, uh, before Abraham was, I am? There's three times in that chapter. It's, and you, we're always going to find it some odd way in the English. But yeah. it's just ego and me, I am. Yeah. Similar to that. Similar to the elder who told John to look at the lion of Judah in Revelation 4, he looked and he saw a lamb of God instead. But uh, they come out there just to arrest a man, and they find the I am out there. John 18, 12 through 14. Uh, this is one of my favorite verses just because it's it's odd, the implications of it. It was Caiaphas who advised the Jews that it would be expedient that one man should die for the people. <laughs> and John eleven forty nine. this is a little bit earlier, uh, Caiaphas, who was high priest that year, said, and this, is, this goes uh, through verse 53, understand that it is better for you that one man should die for the people, not that the whole nation should perish. 
He did not say this of his own accord, but being high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus would die for the nation, and not for the nation only, but also to gather into one, one the children. Excuse me, but also to gather into one the children of God scattered abroad. So I say, thanks, Caiaphas. That's exactly what God sent Jesus for, exactly what we needed. But it does kind of look uh, outside of the Jewish nation and kind of includes a concept of Gentiles, which is what we call church. Uh, John 18, we're picking up on 15 through 18 this time. It matters who you know. That's the main idea here. John is let in because of who he knows. Peter Peter is pushed further and further out into the cold because he denies knowing who he knows. There's another kind of uh, dichotomy there. This is a questioning or a trial of Jesus, is also a questioning of Peter. But then there's Peter and John. And, you know, John goes and they say, basically, uh, who are you? He says, I know the high priest. And they let him in. I heard a pastor one time teaching that John was a uh, fisherman family, and obviously he was selling, I mean, bringing fish and had ties in there he was selling his fish and stuff to the high priest so they knew his family well yeah. uh, neat concept but wouldn't Peter be selling his fish too I don't know <laughs> either way John <laughs> goes on in and Peter is the one who keeps denying he knows the Lord and eventually he's pushed further and further out in the cold mm. that's John, a good little illustration yeah the more you deny Jesus the further you anyway. the further the colder you get yeah uh, John but 18. his grace brings you back yeah yeah if you let it yeah which it it did for Peter 19 through 24 in chapter 18 Jesus is subtle but he's not secret that's kind of the main point there Annas was not the high priest this is one thing I thought was pretty neat there let's look at, look at those actual verses the high priest then questioned Jesus about his disciples and his teaching and they call, wait a minute, I'm trying to back up. <clears throat> Sorry for you, the uh, the listener. I told Mark I forgot to bring my paper Bible, so I'm looking on my <laughs> iPad, and it's really hard to find the same things when, that you're accustomed to on a page. <laughs> yeah. The high priest then questioned Jesus about his disciples and his teaching. Jesus answered him, I have spoken openly to the world. I've always taught in the synagogues and in the temple. Where all Jews come together, I have said nothing in secret. Why do you ask me and those who have heard me and what I said to them? They know what I said. When he said these things, uh, one of the officers standing by struck Jesus with his hand saying, Is that how you answer the high priest? Jesus answered, If I have said what was wrong, uh, if what I have said is wrong, bear witness about what the wrong. But if I have said what is right, why do you strike me? Annas then sent him bound to Caiaphas, the high priest. <laughs> Can't prove what he did was wrong. Well, who's the high priest? Is it Annas or is it Caiaphas? Because previously one was and now the other one is. But they're still calling the one who previously was the high priest. Yeah. Just just pointing out, is, number one, is another family passing down the priesthood thing. Huh. But these are not these are not Levites. It's not a Levitical system anymore. So, let's see. I did some stuff on that, but it kind of looks like, uh, when you look through all these, these chapters right here, though, religious systems, even God's given, or by Moses, God-given religious system of Judaism has now turned into a religious system of nepotism. 
going from one father to a son-in-law. It's a buddy system now. This started with uh, Ezra. Ezra was an actual Levite. He was a physical descendant of Aaron. Ezra 7, we get that lineage. He started a school uh, which became the Pharisees. The Pharisees do not all descend by fathers to sons. Originally, Moses was called by God as a religious and political figure. Aaron was called as the first high priest. Both were from the tribe of Levi. Uh, Aaron's sons were the next in line after Aaron's death. But Moses' appointed, uh, appointment as religious and political leader combined into one person was not to be a position his sons would receive. So political leadership was given to Joshua. He was from Ephraim. First king of Israel was Saul from Benjamin. Then the line of David from Judah began to sit on the throne. Just a little distinction there about the, the lines that we're looking at here. But what the religious system of the time had become to be was basically a, a good old boy system or a buddy system. Not passing it along to somebody who's anointed or called for the job, <laughs> especially that job of being high priest. So uh, going on, let's see, we're in verses uh, 25 through 27. John records twice. I thought this was pretty interesting. John records twice that Jesus said, I am in the garden. But here records the second time Peter says, I am not. So altogether, both of them say, I am, I am. Peter says, I am not, I am not. Mm. Mm. Just just a neat dichotomy there again between Jesus and Peter and uh, what their their questionings bring out. John 18, 28 to 32, they take him to Pilate, seeking to have him killed by the state. The religious system takes God to the government to have them kill him. That's what... <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> I was just reading that kind of it just kind of popped out at me thinking what's that that what you just said uh, just kind of these guys are you know by the law obedient to God but but they still want Jesus to die they just couldn't do it so they're working the system right to get what they want accomplished similar to what they did with uh, the whole sacrifice sacrificial system where um, you know selling selling them at a high price so yeah. They wouldn't make money, but yeah. anyway. Hmm. Uh, either way, let's see. The funny thing here is that church and state working together equals condemning Jesus to death. They want to silence all this God talk. So it's curious to me that all these people today who want to silence the God talk seek to separate church and state. <laughs> Maybe they're defeating their own purpose. <laughs> I don't know if you've ever noticed this, but this 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 part of this verse just jumped out at me. Uh, after Pilate said what is truth, um, he said uh, verse thirty-eight. Okay. Um, after he had said this, he went back outside to the Jews and told them, "I find no guilt in him." But it's customary for us to release a prisoner, um, which I think is interesting. That still, even the Roman emperor um, couldn't find. Jesus guilty. Which, well, that's one point I want to get to in a little bit. Uh, in fact, let's go ahead and look at it because it's interesting enough just to call it. Sorry, I didn't mean to jump ahead. No, it's fine. It won't take you a second. Because to go back to my original title for this section we were getting into here, um, man puts <coughs> the light of the world on trial in darkness. <coughs> so 
This is God becoming a man, living a life, and at some point he's giving himself over and letting man kill him. What does man do first? Man puts God on trial, and man finds God innocent. Luke, <laughs> I go over to Luke and say this, or to, to get these, because it's six times in Luke that Jesus was proclaimed innocent by man. Luke 23, 4, Pilate said, I find no guilt in this man. Twenty three fourteen, Pilate said, I did not find this man guilty. Luke twenty three fifteen, Herod, nothing deserving death has been done by him. Twenty three twenty two, Pilate, I find I have found in him no guilt deserving death. Twenty three forty one, the thief on the cross, this man has done nothing wrong. Luke twenty three forty seven, the centurion said, certainly this man was innocent. So six different times. I would, I guess I would count the centurion with the state. So five different times the state itself says, there's nothing wrong with this man. He didn't do anything. And then some thief on the cross who actually is a criminal also says, how do you, yeah, how do you have a criminal look at another guy and say, that guy is actually innocent? Because when you, you always hear that joke when you see a bunch of, you know, guys sitting around in jail uh, on TV, you know, drama or something. And uh, he said, what'd you do? He said, I do nothing, man. I'm, I'm, I'm innocent. Yeah, well, we all are. That's a funny thing in Shawshank Redemption movie. Yeah. Where they all joke, yeah, what'd you do? I'm innocent. And they all kind of laugh and it's <laughs> a funny joke. <laughs> well, this, this time though, this one thief looks at another guy who's getting the same punishment he's getting and says, he didn't say, I'm innocent. He says, that guy's actually innocent. Why is he here? I've never thought, I've never connected all the dots before. Um, this, I mean, I've heard the story, know the story, but when you, when you, when you tag the headline of saying, um, I don't know how you worded on there, but when you said, um, a man put God on trial and found him innocent. Yeah. I just, th- that phrase is pretty cool. And I started thinking, and then as you're talking, I'm just like, I've never saw it that way where, Pilate didn't find him guilty. The thief on the cross, yeah. who is guilty, yeah. knows he's guilty, must have, I guess, may have witnessed Jesus. I don't know. But apparently he knows enough to say this guy's innocent. It's just weird. Yeah. But I'm sorry. I didn't mean to interrupt. Um, it's funny. No, you're not. It's, it's fine. Uh, one thing I brought up a while ago in Hebrews is that we have this high priest who is able to identify with us. If you look at the back up and look at the big picture, right? So there's God and there's man, mm-hmm. and God is telling us ahead of time in a way. If you go out like back to Enoch and Noah, he's warning mankind there is right and wrong, and for the wrong, I'm going to judge the whole world. And then we get through the flood, and as we multiply out again, God keeps warning man, I'm going to judge the whole world. And look at the attitude of mankind now, just a regular culture here in America. Yeah. Uh, what is the regular attitude about being judged? You can't tell me what to do. My life, God can't judge me, blah, blah. And there's a lot of that that kind of rhetoric going around. Yeah. So is it fair? Because I guess that's a, that's a kind of one of the, res, the presiding concepts tied up in that, is that it's not fair for God to judge me. He doesn't know what I'm going through, blah, blah, blah. If you back up and look at it, God said, you know, you're right. I think I'll just be born as a man. Me, as in Jesus, the son, 
incarnates, becomes a man, goes through it, and allows mankind to put him on trial, him being God, finds him innocent, kills him anyway, and because he was innocent, death is not his payment. His whole life is innocent. He has not sinned, so death cannot hold him. He defeats it. In the end, God says, okay, now it's our turn, us being the Trinity. We call all of mankind to trial. <laughs> and it is fair because John twenty-two, uh, 522, all judgment is given to the Son. Right. Which one of God, the Trinity, became a man to endure a life on earth and to endure persecution by the whole world and hate by mankind. And to be declared innocent by mankind. And to be declared innocent and still killed. That's the one who's going to judge mankind. That's... If you and if you look at it from both directions, right. God's like, uh, y'all wanted it fair. I made it fair. I never thought of that either. I sent my That's son. Cool. He became one of you, went through it, and now he's the one who's going to judge you. You can't say it's not fair. He's went. He went through it all. And I wish all that was mine. Well, <laughs> but. I, I, I've, never, I've never heard it. Maybe I, I, I guess it's just been art, it's articulated very well. I like it. Well, this. It's like I said, I did did notice myself back years ago. He showed me in Luke 23, all those is like, that's crazy. Well, there's another one. There's another one. But here's the funny thing. How many? Pilot one, pilot two, Herod three, pilot four, thief on the cross five, centurion six. What's the number of man? Six. The number of times that man proclaims in Luke 23 that God is innocent is six times. <laughs> just cool. another little funny thing. That's why I kept looking for more because I was just thinking numerically. <laughs> There's got to be more, but that's kind of cool. Uh, let's see. To back up a little bit of my notes, because uh, I was going to go next into common folks versus religious leaders. Common folks were completely aware that Messiah was coming, <laughs> they knew what to expect. So uh, I've kind of listed some verses here. Let's see. These are all these are all out of John anyway. So John 1, 41 through 45. This is about Andrew and Peter. Andrew says to Peter, we found Messiah. And Philip adds, of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth. Who, uh, what was it? I don't have down who said this. I forget. Was it Bar Bartholomew? But he says, can anything good come out of Nazareth? I don't think that was Bartholomew. What's Bartholomew's other name? Nathaniel. Nathaniel. Was it Nathaniel? It was Nathaniel, yeah. I've done a study because yeah. it took me a long time to put all the different lists between the Gospels together to see who is who with different names. Nathaniel and Bartholomew were the guy, but Either way, that just shows. Andrew says to Peter, we found Messiah. How do you know that, Andrew? They know what they were looking for. They know what they were expecting. Um, Philip, When Philip adds the one that Moses and all the prophets wrote about, Philip is saying, we know what we're expecting. When Nathaniel says, can anything good come out of Nazareth? He knows he's expecting Messiah to come from a certain place. The common populace is educated about what they're expecting to see when this guy shows up. Uh, John 4.25. 
The Samaritan woman at the well, she's not even a Jew, she's a Samaritan. Well, I know Messiah is coming. How does she know? The common populace is educated about what they're expecting to see when he shows up. John sixteen, uh, John six fourteen. the crowd of 5,000. This is kind of uh, some recorded commentary that just, I guess you would call it conversation in the crowd. But, quote, this indeed is the prophet who is to come into the world, unquote. How do they know that? They know what they're expecting to see when this guy shows up. John 7, 25 through 31, the people of Jerusalem. Can it be that the authorities really know that this is the Christ? But we know where this man comes from. When the Christ appears, no one will know where he comes from. When the Christ appears, will he do more signs than this man has done? They're expecting this, the, the Messiah to come from a certain place, and they're expecting the Messiah to do signs. The common populace is aware of what the Messiah is going to be like, what this guy is going to act like when he shows up. John 7, 40 through 52. The long discussion and disagreement about where Messiah was to come from. It's funny, though, that they think they know where this guy came from. Therefore, he cannot be the Messiah. Because Messiah is supposed to come from where, of course? Bethlehem. But this guy didn't come from Bethlehem. Yeah. As far as they know. He came from Nazareth, which is not where he came from because he was born in Bethlehem. Right. So it's kind of funny that it would be, wait a minute, is, is this where he came from? Oh, he can't come from there. That couldn't be Messiah. Yeah, but they don't know where he was born. They just know right. where, where they traveled to. Right. So just a, a kind of odd thing, but the average person on the street knows the religious leader hasn't got a clue. The the, the Magi, weren't, they weren't necessarily believers, right? I mean, well, believers mean... You tell me, uh, if faith without works is dead, <laughs> they could have sat back in Babylon. Well, I'll say they weren't. And, yeah. and, and the the Jewish culture, meaning, you know, they weren't people of the Torah. Or, um, well, when you say believer, do you mean they believed in a Christ coming who is what we describe Messiah as being? Because Old Testament, if they've been studying Old Testament and they're waiting for this one to come, one thing they're expecting, if they've been reading the whole Old Testament, mm -hmm. is that they are included. They don't have to be Jewish. Right. So even back to Moses, uh, the Torah, but especially Moses' uh, what am I trying to say? Feast. Mm -hmm. I was going to say his his meals. <laughs> Moses used to eat a lot, you know. <laughs> in the meals is the prediction of Gentiles being included. So, right. but do were they believers? Yeah, that's probably the wrong word. Yeah, um, I know what you mean, though. They were they were not antagonistic against God. They right. were trying to follow what they thought would be the real truth of reality. So they they were reading something that they had. We think they had Daniel and Jeremiah. Maybe they were just outside the realm of. The Jewish people, I guess. Right. Or, yeah. But they came a, a long ways on what they believed to be true. That's why I, I throw up their uh, faith that works is dead because it, <laughs> James says, I thought it was interesting. I had to write something recently on uh, the comparison of James and Paul's concepts on faith. Both of them use the same exact verse to prove their opposite sides of the coin. <laughs> right. That being uh, Abraham is counted righteous because he believed God. But James goes ahead and says, 
he he actually did something to show he believed God. <laughs> I thought it was interesting though in that study that it pointed me back to looking at Genesis twenty two when Abraham offers his son. After he offers his son, then God says, "Now I know you believe God." Through his actions. Through his action. Yeah. It was action that showed his faith. His faith was already there and counted as righteous to him. But either way, these guys came from a really far, long place away to get there on. I mean, it it wasn't comfortable riding camels, I'm sure. Yeah. Well, the reason why I say <laughs> is because the commonality that you're talking about, it's, yeah. it's well known yeah. um, among people. Let's see. And I don't, I don't have any particular verse or whatever about it, but this is something that the uh, they were trying to get the state to kill Messiah, who's an innocent man anyway. They're very conscious to be careful to stay ritually clean for the next religious holiday. They didn't want to go inside Pilate's place there hmm. because they want to be able to eat the Passover. But why are they going to see him? They're trying to get this guy killed. Because <laughs> <laughs> that's holy. <laughs> Uh, let's see. Some just kind of odd things, because these things just fall out while you're writing, you know. <laughs> the religious system seeks to kill one man for the people. The legal system seeks to release one man to the people. <laughs> <laughs> That's interesting. <laughs> <laughs> I guess I'm about to maybe my last little bit here. Okay. So I was going to sum it up basically with strange stuff the Bible says. So what is our concept tonight? Uh, religious systems working hard for forgiveness for sins. Uh, biblical status being that there is no static status. You belong to God or you don't. And God became a man. Man puts God on trial. So here's some of the strange stuff that the Bible says after all is said and done. God loves mankind. That's, yeah. We, we hear it so often that's, that means nothing to us, but after you turn this off, just think about that for a minute. <laughs> yeah. God loves mankind. He actually wants to be around us. Most of the world's religions and, and secular thinkers often think that man man is a form of God but they deny that God could become a man. I mean, how many times have you heard that? Yeah, that's a good point. That's that's the main point. Like, uh, when we say that Jesus is God, people deny that left and right. But if you listen outside of that conversation and other conversations with people, um, people have, and these other religions that would also deny that, would also say that man has some form of God in him. Or to obtain God-like. Or that we can, we can, we can go up. But yeah. He can't come down. <laughs> uh, anyway, uh, <laughs> let's see. After all that said and done, though, God teaches that man is subject to him because he became a man, which is what we described a while ago. So God loves mankind. That's one of the strange things. And God became a man. He loved us so much and wanted to be around us. He became one of us. Uh Another strange thing the Bible teaches, Jesus is the only way to heaven. If you can imagine that, all these other things we talked about tonight, the reason we're talking about these work systems, et cetera, is to show that they are an endless hopelessness. 
Jesus is the only way to heaven. To achieve forgiveness of sins we talked about earlier, a man must believe in Christ, not himself. And this comes down to these little tiny decisions every day, little things that slip out of our mouth. Um, and I, I don't, I didn't bring a pile of examples, but just uh, you got to believe in Christ, not yourself. Yeah. Well, you have all these self-help gurus and and things to better yourself and we're listening to someone else's opinion on matters and and we need that because we look at ourselves in the mirror and we observe things say man something's not right yeah we're you know we keep messing up or i think i'm leaning towards common arrogance i see all the time too and uh maybe maybe it's as bad as in women but since i work with with a group of men only I don't know. It just sickens me. The more I meet, uh, and it, it 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 puts a little bit of fear in me. I don't want to become some something like this. I don't be like like when you see old men. How many kinds are there? There's two. There's the old man who's smiling, and there's a grumpy old man. Right. There's not many other kinds. <laughs> I mean, yeah, they yeah. break down further when you get them talking. Right. But for the most part, I don't want to be a grumpy old man. Uh. There isn't any reason you can't smile at people and just wave. You don't have to have great conversations. <laughs> yeah, just, how's it going? But if you're the old man riding around your neighborhood in your golf cart, how many times do we see that? You can wave. Yeah. But either way, uh, I guess what I'm talking about, though, is is the arrogance that I see in men. And it only gets worse and worse and worse and deeper and deeper with age. Men don't seem to become wise and humble. If they aren't humble to begin with, they don't get <laughs> humbler. <laughs> right. It's, it's also another thing where it's, it's not static. It's not a static status where you uh, you have come to this point of arrogance or humility and you stay there. You seem to get worse and worse and worse or deeper and deeper into whatever which direction you are. But I, I see this arrogance of brag. And I think some of the old men I know, like uh, at, at my company, if an ins because in a group of men, insults are tossed around. <laughs> yeah. Insults are usually tossed around in front of the entire group so the entire group can laugh all together at that one guy. <laughs> and if it's your turn today and everybody decides to pick on you, it's gonna come. That happens sometimes where it's just all about you that day. Everybody's yeah. got every joke in the world ready and they crack all over you. <laughs> but I just watch some men they can take it and they're fun. And we, you actually have respect for them when all that's over because it's forgotten in two seconds. But yeah. the one who's really arrogant gets tore all to pieces about it. You almost got to point to and see legacy. But his legacy, when you walk out of the office after we've had a morning meeting and this one guy couldn't take a little bit of ribbing, he gets defensive and mad and, and says some things that are really arrogant back. It's funny how often those become the stones that somebody else picks up and throws back at him. And it's it's odd how true it is. And that's why it's more funny. And everybody laughs again. He ends up digging his own hole, though. Yeah. That guy ends up walking out stinking mad. And what is his legacy? Just, just the next 10 minutes, the next 10 years, is that guy is arrogant. Well, you don't ever give him a compliment because he's doing it to himself already. <laughs> and he couldn't take it. He just mm -hmm. couldn't take it from others when they said something to him because he was just always so arrogant. I just, that's another one of those things. The mean old guy, the arrogant old guy. 
with a friendly guy who's waving at you from his golf cart. Yeah. The, the humble old man. You don't have to be arrogant. And it's a lot more respectful that way or respectable. Yeah, that's a good point. But yeah. a man must believe in Christ, not himself. That's why I get on that little tangent there. Yeah, I mean, we feel, we feel all the time. I mean, we see it everywhere. Um, we're always failing. And, and the thing about, the ultimate thing about Jesus is, again, it's, it's assurance that there's hope and it's not based on you. Yeah. And that's, that's a hopeful thing sometimes because, you know, I don't have to do anything to earn it. It's just I do things because of what happens. So. Yeah. How many times in your, in, in your failing, you carry some guilt? A lot. And then you, like you just now said, that thankfully it's not on me. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there, there's times where I beat myself up and say, man, stupid, made mistakes and whatever. And, you know, um, people say, you know, I, maybe we'll deal with it in the next podcast. Um, you know, people talk about God forgives and, um, but yeah, but how can God forgive um, people who did worse things than yeah. stealing a piece of bubble gum or something else? But, but even that, we care. steak. <laughs> or steak, that's right. <laughs> or skip out on the check. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, but, you know, we, we carry guilt when we, when we make mistakes and, and for us to, you know, carry it, it does, it, it, when we carry our own guilt, when we carry those things, it, it makes us better. It causes yeah. us to be bitter because we're constantly failing. People notice our failures and sometimes people, the tendency is, you know, to add to. Yeah. So, but when, when, when God says, I'll carry the burden, put it on me. I got you. Um, I'll walk you through it. I'll forgive you. And so there's freedom in that. It's not that, you know, you do things, say, well, God will forgive me. You know, that. Yeah, it's not a flippancy. Yeah. So. Cool. Uh, um, so I think next podcast, we'll kind of, maybe we'll touch on the forgiveness thing a little bit, but um, we'll kind of deal with um, the death on the cross. <laughs> and uh, obviously the resurrection, I think we'll deal with um, the different viewpoints of the what resurrection. Yeah. Can you prove the resurrection <laughs> of the different viewpoints and kind of go into the beginning of the church? And so, again, we're back. <laughs> so, welcome. Or thanks. Or bye. Bye. <laughs> Thanks for listening to the Two Spies podcast. If you would like to join in on the conversation, go to numa.life and leave a comment. Make sure to subscribe on iTunes, Google Music, or whatever app you're listening on. For additional articles on faith and life, visit numa.life.